Father, we come now to a very significant text, and I pray that you would use these verses to affect us in important ways. I, I pray that there would be even some here who would leave totally different than when they came. If there are any here who do not know your Son as Savior and Lord and, and the great joy of their life, I pray today, even now, as I speak these words, that you would address these people and cause them to live, turn from their sins, to repent and trust you forever. If there are any, Lord, here who know you as Savior and, and, and Lord, but they have carried a weight with them as they've come this morning, I pray that today would be a, a fork in the road, that they, would, that they would choose repentance and faith. We want to be addressed by you. We want to be holy, righteous, and pure today. Build us, we pray, O oh God, for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Ruth chapter 1 still this morning. I just want to cover these remaining verses. I titled the sermon, Call Me Bitter, Call Me Bitter, Ruth chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Uh, Ruth and Naomi are making their way back from Moab, where horrible experiences have taken place. If you're just starting with us this journey, we're, we're eight weeks through the book of Ruth, and we've already experienced uh, a departure from the promised land, which was a huge mistake. Elimelech took his family of four and he went to Moab where there was food. But in doing so, disaster struck and, and Elimelech was taken by God. And Naomi is left now without a husband or a father. And her two boys then break God's command and, and take Moabite wives, a very direct disobedience and rebellion against God's clear will in their lives. I think as a result... God took both of their lives as well. So you have these women now that are left. They have no men to provide or protect for them. And, and Naomi has not only lost her husband, she's lost both of her sons. All her sons are gone. She has no family left except for these two daughters-in-law who are Moabites. She pleads with them to stay in Moab. Orpah returns tragically to her homeland and her gods, her pagan idolatries. But Ruth displays incredible grace of God in that she says, no, I will go with you back to the promised land and I will stay with you all the way to the end. I will die. I will be buried where you are and, and I will worship your God, the God who is Yahweh. And so here they are, verse 19, they're, they're heading back to Bethlehem. Let's just kind of unpack this as we go. The two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The women said, is this Naomi? Just pause a little bit here. Who here has lived in a small town? I mean, small, like maybe a couple thousand or less. Yeah? How about smaller? Um, 500 or less. Anyone? Okay, that's really small. Small town experiences are interesting. The town that I was born in, Enterprise, Oregon, had one flashing red light or yellow light in the town. We had no stoplight. We certainly had no McDonald's. It was a small town. Things in a small town are very interesting. 
they come back to Bethlehem. They come back because they have heard by God's grace that he has visited his people and the cycle has moved through. The people have returned and repented of their sins. Remember, we're in the time of the judges and his blessing is now upon the breadbasket. The land has food, abundant food, and, and Bethlehem means uh, house of bread. So there's bread in Bethlehem, there's food, there's, there's grain, and so they begin this return. One mark of God's grace. They come just two women, and they enter into this town. And you've got to just ask yourself the question, if you're Naomi, or if you're Ruth, and you're coming home, it's been 10 years since you've been gone, what do you do when you walk, walk into town? Where are you even going to go? You have nothing. You have nothing in your name. You have no real established contacts. Maybe you're, you're hoping that there would be some provision and protection, and we'll see how the Lord has provided in, in some specific ways. But the, the first steps, it seems that they go through the middle of, of Bethlehem. What do you do first? Who do you talk to? How are they going to react? Think of the questions. Think of the memories. I mean, you're walking through, if you're Naomi, and, and you're coming back to your hometown, but you don't have your husband. And not only that, you remember when your, your, your firstborn son learned how to walk, and, and he was trotting along down this little street. And you see that street, and you think, oh, my son. These are difficult experiences. The weight on Naomi's heart especially is too much for her to bear. Small town dynamics, it says the whole town was stirred because of them. Word travels fast, doesn't it, in a small town? You just imagine, who, who is that? What, what's going on? Especially if, if some of the, uh, the women of the town were, were talking, and maybe they weren't Christian women. Maybe they were more gossipy type. And the, and the whispers, and the chitty chat, and the texting, and the Facebook, and the Instagram. Did you see? Oh my goodness, I can't even believe it. What, where's her husband? Where's her sons? They should have stayed like we did, right? We stayed. They left. All of what you can just imagine would have been lots of dynamics. Probably some gentle, but other pretty harsh some difficult stares and looks, especially in Ruth's direction. Who is that? Hmm. They look at Naomi and they, 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 they have to ask a question. Is, is that even Naomi? The weight she carries as she comes into this town, the sufferings that she's experienced, the age that she carries now is so much so that that her very identity has been, it seems, altered. Naomi speaks. This is, this is just a fascinating thing. So the, the first words that are exchanged from Naomi to the people of the town who have these questions, this is what she says. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified 
against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. These are heavy words. These are words of identity, aren't they? She is owning and wearing and speaking, I'm different. I have been changed. What I have experienced has totally altered me. I am not who I was. Naomi, her name, means pleasant. She says, don't call me pleasant. Nah. You, you used to, knew, to know me that way. That, that's who I used to be. But not after this. That's, that's gone. That's lost. Now, call me bitter. That's my name. Bitter. That's who I am. That's what I am. Mara, does anybody recognize that name? Anybody who went through the Exodus series have a, uh, a memory of that? Mara, does that sound familiar? Remember where that was, Exodus 15. After the, uh, the parting of the Red Seas and all of the spectacular work of God to deliver his people from Egypt, they come out in the wilderness, yeah, we're free, we're free to serve the Lord. Awesome, I'm kind of thirsty. What should we drink? I don't know. Three days later, there's water. Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. The people grumbled. How quickly they grumbled against God, really, and God's appointed leader. What shall we drink, they said. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. You ever been there? I can't believe this happened. I, I, can't, I, I can't even imagine that this took place. I am bitter. What's amazing is that God directed Moses to a, a log, and he just simply took the log and threw it in the water. God supernaturally took that bitter, nasty, undrinkable water, and he made it sweet. That's the part of the story Naomi is choosing to ignore. She is standing at the edge of this water and saying, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. Thank you, Lord. You brought us out of Egypt, and here we are at this bitter water. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Bitter. But what God can do is not in view. We know this. We know the story. We, we, we anticipate this bitter water made sweet. But Naomi doesn't want to consider that. She doesn't want to even look for that. She's happy to stare at bitter water. To own it is who she is. Now, there's a few statements here that we need to acknowledge as truth. Naomi's not lying. She's not speaking falsehood here. Let's read this again. The two of them went on. Uh, verse 20, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Three things I think that are noteworthy here. Number one, God does exist. Naomi acknowledges this. 
This is not a, a, a chosen ignoring of the presence of God, which is what atheism is. There is no God, and I hate him. That's the atheist mantra, right? That, that's what an atheist chooses. They know he exists. They just don't like him, and so they pretend that he doesn't exist. That is common in our day increasingly. That's not what Naomi does in her bitterness. She acknowledges that God exists. That is true. Secondly, she even acknowledges that he is sovereign over all of this. That is also true. He is sovereign in all of these things. And she even goes so far as to say that God himself has brought this calamity upon me. Now, a lot of people will pull up there and say, I don't know if we should say that. Because then maybe people would end up blaming God for evil. God is not evil. He doesn't do evil things, right? James reminds us of that. God is sovereign, however, over evil. Throughout the scriptures, we see this over and over. Just encourage you with this. Don't fall for the temptation to strip God of his rule over all things in an attempt to comfort those who are hurting. There is no comfort found in an impotent God. People who are grieving have absolutely all comfort removed if you suggest that, well, God just, just didn't see that coming. He couldn't stop it. He's not powerful. What are they going to do? How are they going to pray? What are they gonna, uh, where are they going to take their, their questions and their concern and their grief? How do you look to an impotent God? It's hard when people hurt to remind them that God is in control. That is not cold. It is not distant truth. That is the most precious foundation upon which suffering people sink roots. That when storm winds blow, those roots hold because God is sovereign in the storm. No matter what. Listen to what I saw in Psalm 147 this week. I, I love this, this juxtaposition here. Look, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's God. He does that. What else does he do? He determines the number of stars and he gives to them all of their names. You see, what, you see why he says, great is our Lord? Do you see what he's doing? He's showing God is both the healer, the, the close comforter, the one who holds us. And we just cry in his arms and he says, it's going to be okay. I'm here. And one of the reasons I can tell you it's going to be okay is because I am bigger than you could ever imagine. I'm the one that threw out the stars with my fingers and I named them all. And they're in place because I hold them there and I'm close. You see, he's that big and he's that close. Great is the Lord, especially when you grieve. You need text like this. He's abundant in power. And just to be clear, his, his understanding is beyond measure. He knows where you're at. He knows the hurt and the pain. Look to him. Seek him. Pray to him. 
follow and trust him. Even in the midst of the storm. Think of Job. His wife says, Job, do you still hold to your integrity? (laughs) One of the few things Job has left is his wife. And she says in this moment, she sounds a little like Naomi. She sounds a little bit like Naomi. Curse God and die, Job. And Job responds with these words. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Do you hear the humility in those words? Do you hear the honesty in those words? And just so we're clear, in all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. That's true. That's that's true. And Naomi is speaking true words even when she's bitter. They're bitter words, but they're truer than she realizes. God indeed brought this calamity upon me. We speak of a God who has a will, a commanded will. Obey me. Follow me. These are my rules. These are my laws. If you break them, there are consequences. Her husband and her sons experienced the commanded will of God when they broke it, and he justly took their lives. There is also the permissive will of God that's happening where he allows these things to befall us in that he can stop them, but he chooses not to, and and so we can say he did that. He did that. God does not do evil, but he is sovereign over evil. He doesn't stop evil. Then Job says here, this adversity, this evil, as it were, is from the hand of God. And that's not sinful to say. Imagine Joseph. His brothers took him out of jealousy, hatred. They threw him in a pit. They treated him like an animal. And then they sold him as a slave to Egypt. And then all of what he went through in Egypt, falsely accused, wrongfully imprisoned, year after year after year, no response. And then the end of the story comes. Is he going to choose what Naomi chose? Or is he going to choose what Job chose? Is he going to choose the track of Job's wife? Or is he going to choose faithful words? Trust. This is what he said. As for you, brothers, the ones who committed these horrible sins against me, he says, you meant it for evil against me. But God meant it. Now, It is what? Every sin they committed, God meant it for good. Accomplished good through their offenses. So he praises God and he forgives his brothers. Very different response, isn't it? Naomi is in a very very dangerous place to be. Blinded by bitterness. Let's see verse 22. So Naomi returned and and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, beginning of barley harvest. That's just a kind of like a little story 
part of the narrative the narrator gives us. That's not a throwaway line, is it, though? I mean, something there. Naomi is blinded by bitterness. I went away full, she says, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Is that true? There's true things she says, but that is not true. That's not true. That's how she feels. But that is not reality. I was full. I used to be full. I had a husband. I had sons. We had a name. We had a future. And then we left. And now I'm, I'm back and I'm empty. I got nothing. As Ruth stands next to her and hears these words. I guess, you know, I don't count. Loyalty, love, devotion. Celebrate the conversion of a Moabite to Yahweh. I got nothing. What does this show us of one who wears bitterness? Blindness to the blessings of God. They come into Bethlehem as carts are overflowing with barley. Grain in abundance. It just so happened that that's the time they arrived. God is providing for their needs. He is, he is working to bring about their good in ways they cannot even imagine. But Naomi doesn't want to see it. She chooses to ignore the very blatant displays of God's good grace both in Ruth and in barley and in word that reached them that there's food again. So many things to be thankful for. But Naomi says, I only see me. I only see me. And I only see the past. I can only think about things that have taken place and, and, and how they have hurt me, messed up me. See what bitterness does? It's inward. Oh, it's toxic. It turns everything in on me. It makes, it makes everything else irrelevant. It's all about me. I'm stuck in the past. My best days are behind me. There's no future. There's no hope. It's just bleak. And it's just me. Anne Lamont once said, bitterness is like eating rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. That's kind of profound. I can't stand that rat. I eat this poison and why isn't he dying? Why do I feel so awful? Ugh! You see how foolish it is? Bitterness only destroys the person who holds it. Ever thought about this phrase, harboring bitterness? This struck me this week. I just said, why do we, why do we say that? What is that? I'm harboring bitterness. I'm just resentful. I'm holding on to it. You see the word harboring there? It's, it's like, it's like I'm, I'm protecting it. I'm giving it safe harbor in me. I'm coddling it. I want it. There's a strange reward that happens when I sit in my bitterness. I find it, feed me something. It's depravity. It's sin. 
And it's serious. To harbor bitterness is to eat rat poison. Another word that comes to mind is broadcasting bitterness. You see, what's interesting about bitterness is that it's never content to stay where it's at. It's like gangrene. It wants to go. It wants to move. It wants to expand. And it really loves company. It's like misery. It pulls in and speaks. And, and, and it's, like, it's like a snake bite. I'm going I'm to say a word. And here's what can happen, both positive and negative. You can either try to raise an army by, by encouraging people to hear about all your horrible experiences and the bitterness that you have, and they come and they're like, yeah, you know what? That's awful. I hate that guy too. I can't believe that happened to you. And, and all of a sudden I feel comforted because now more people are bitter, and we're together in this bitterness. Or, out of bitterness, I jab. I hurt. I speak sharp, and I cut because I'm bitter. I'm angry. You mess with me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you. Bitterness brings death and destruction. There's another very scary reality that can take place with bitterness. is that bitterness often will justify sinfulness. See, what we do is we take bitterness and we harbor it, and we find some comfort in holding it and hugging it, and then we begin to broadcast it. But then, then I look at it, and I say, well, if this happened to me, then I really, I really have a right to behave in a way that, that's a little edgy. I, I can say things or do things because of what took place to me. I have a right to respond this way in this situation. People on Facebook just have to vent here. Just got a little, got a little vent. Just, just catch that, Christian. That's sinful. Don't do that. There is rarely an occasion for public venting that produces righteousness. If you're angry, you better sit on it and take it to the Lord. Justifying sinfulness. You could say it this way. The heart that feels ripped off by God is inclined to justify just about anything. Go back all the way to the Garden of Eden. The great temptation of the evil one. God is holding out on you. He, oh, great, he gave you all this garden, but this tree, that's where it's at. God, he's holding out on you. And Eve reaches out, believing that lie. She justifies this action because in, in, in her mind, she's like, hey, I, I deserve this tree. I know he said it's his, but I'm going to take this. If you knew what happened to me, you would understand why I'm such an angry person, why I, I bristle like this. It's just who I am. Do you know my story? Do you know what happened to me years ago? You just have to accept me the way I am. Friends, that's not biblical. It's not biblical. That is a blatant justification of sinful behavior. Yeah, but he did this. He did this. And so I responded with this. Or she said this or didn't say this. And so I did this. Marriage counseling 101. 
Don't justify your sin. Own it. Call it what it is. Confess it to the Lord. Find forgiveness and freedom and then move in grace and love. Oh, but it's in us to put that shield up. If you're going to do that, well, then I'm going to do this. A bitter heart is a Petri dish for sin. And it will happen. It will find a way out. Here's the thing. We don't always realize that we are coddling and harboring bitterness. So we're called to be on our guard, to humbly assess our lives and say, Lord, show me. Is there anything in my life that I've latched onto? Someone who offended me? Something that took place? Am I angry with you? Oh, this is so important to be on guard against. Because bitterness is always a God problem. Who's Naomi really upset with? Who does she really have a problem with? Is it the townspeople? Is it that her husband and her sons died? At, at, at the end of the day, ultimately, she is saying, I disapprove, God. I don't approve of what you have chosen as my plot in life. I'm not okay. a very, very dangerous place to be. We are called, I think, in the Psalms even, to pour out our hearts before Him. God is big enough to handle our emotions, but oh, guard your heart. Guard your tongue. Don't ever question God. What right does the clay have to say to the potter? What have you done? He is sovereign, my friends. He is God. And he sees all. We see so little, friends. We see so little. He's making bitter water sweet at this very moment. And Naomi is angry. She only sees that much. This is tough. In Romans chapter 3, Paul reaches for language to, 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 to try to show us how totally depraved mankind is and i want you to look for our word here right in the very heart of this description of total godlessness and depravity all have turned aside he says together they have become worthless no one does good not even one their throat is an open grave they use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips their mouth is full of two things curses and bitterness. Of all the different things he could use to describe depravity in us, a desperate need for salvation, for freedom, for forgiveness, and for life, there's our word. What happens out of that? Well, bloodshed. Their feet are swift to shed blood, their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. That's not peace. That's discord. That's war. And at the end of the day, it can be summed up best with this. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the reoccurring theme of the book of Judges, isn't it? Will Naomi be one who fears the Lord or one who shakes a fist at the heavens in bitterness and anger and then goes after all of the people around her? How will this story go? 
Friends, to be clear, in the life of the Christian, there is no place, no place for hard-hearted bitterness at all. No room. But what if there is? But what if I've created a, a safe place for just a small amount of bitterness? This week was interesting for me because I did a whole lot of soul searching. You can't stand up and preach this unless you've preached it to yourself about a thousand times. Lord, who might I be holding a grudge, resentment, anger against? Is there anyone that comes to mind? Anybody that I've just kind of had that shell form over my heart? I don't want that. This is the reality of the gospel. This is what has happened to you, Christian, when you were saved. This is what God did when he brought you to life. It's prophesied of old in the book of Ezekiel, the new covenant. This is, this is, this is regeneration by the Holy Spirit. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Listen now. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I will take it. God's doing this. I will take it out and I will put a heart of flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart. And I will put my spirit, my Holy Spirit will, will be the seal on your life. The very indwelling power of my presence. I will put him in you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's the best news ever. Because here's the reality. We can't do that on our own. No one can. It is only by the power of God that a hard, godless, depraved, self-worshipping heart that is filled with bitterness can be removed and exchanged for a soft heart. There is no place in the Christian life for a hard heart, for bitterness. Paul reminds us of this in the New Testament. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Oh, friends, we need this. Also, marriage counseling 101. Also, parenting 101. Also, love your neighbor as yourself 101. I mean, just go down the line, right? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion. To give grace, give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, dwells in you, believer. Don't grieve him by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And here it is. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. It's not who you are. That's, that's not who you are anymore. Be yourself in Christ. Be kind. That's who you are. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted with that new heart that you have. Be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. I need that every day. 
I need that command, friends, that command. It's based upon that which has happened, that, that objective reality that has taken place in the gospel, that has radically changed us in Christ. And I need to participate in actively being who I am in Christ and putting down that sin. So our response this morning. I am praying that God would just land this for all of us. We have a, a longing to be a congregation filled with people who are kind, tender-hearted, filled with grace, forgiving one another that would rightly reflect the God who has done all of those things for us. It could be that God is working in your heart right now and, and just just making you miserable because you're harboring resentment or bitterness or anger. It could be that he's brought something up that you thought was, was long gone and dealt with. It happened to me. Years and years ago, settled it, released, forgiven, done, moving on. But then somehow pops up again. But wait a second. I feel a little bitter about that. No, Lord, I don't want that. I want, I want a soft heart. I want kindness. So if I bump into this person in Costco, it's from the heart. Hi, it is good to see you, regardless of their response. You cannot control what the other person does, but you can control the response that you have to it. And you're responsible before God for your response. So the question from God to all of us today, are you bitter? Is there bitterness in your life? Someone, some situation, something that happened? Is it on the horizontal plane here? Are you, are you, is there someone even in this room right now where you're just like, you know what, if I'm honest, I'm still, I, I still, I'm still stuck on what they said or did or didn't say or didn't do. For some of you, maybe it's this direction here. I just, I just don't approve of how things have gone with my life. I, I don't like what you are writing of my story. I, I, I'm not okay with it. Bitterness. Are you harboring bitterness, protecting it? giving it safe harbor. You deal with other sins, but not this one. No, 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 this, one, this one's close. Are you broadcasting it? Would the people in your life say that you are a bitter person? The, the way that you talk about this person, the, the way that you speak about this person, what would they say? Some of you might need to go today and, and love one another enough to say, listen, I'm worried about you because of the tone, because of the words, because of the way I see this. I, I, you're miserable, aren't you? This is just miserable. Are you blinded to the blessings of God because of something that's happened in your life? You just see you. You just see past. You don't see future. You don't see blessings. You don't see glory, provision. Or even still, are you justifying sin? This is 
why I do what I do. Because she is like that. I have a right to be angry when she does those things. Or, this is the guy I married, and you know what? I'm, I, I have every right to respond this way because that's what he does. Every time, every single time, he does that. And so, fine, I'm, that's, I'm just going to do this. Stiff-necked, I don't care about righteousness. I am justified in my sin. We have all been there. All of us have been there. The call today is for freedom, repentance, forgiveness, life, joy. Just think of this rock. Think, just put all of whatever the Lord has brought to mind right there. And just think, He took it out of you, Christian. It's not supposed to be in your life. I'll tell you where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be right here. At the foot of the cross. Where Jesus took it and buried it. Buried it in the tomb. So what I would encourage you to do is just take some time and pray, Lord, is there anything like this in my life? Is there any bitterness any resentment, any anger that's unresolved that needs to be addressed right here today. A turning point, a a new chapter, a new day. What we're going to do during the closing song is bring these rocks. One by one, just come down as, as the Lord leads, just come down, everyone holding this rock. You bring it down and you just lay it at the foot of the cross. For those who can't seem to identify any specific bitterness, this is a reminder of your freedom in Christ, what you're called to. Don't pick up that rock. Leave it there. It's it's exchanged. You have a, a new heart through Christ. And so we're celebrating the gospel. But for others who can identify some bitterness, this is your opportunity in a meaningful and tangible way to say, Lord, I repent. I lay it down in faith. And I ask that you would forgive me for it and set me free. I want to live, I want to be free of this. Now, this happens individually. So, I just encourage you to, to pray and, and ask the Lord to, to lead you in how this goes. But my encouragement is, make today the day that you stop holding on to bitterness. Lay it all down at the foot of the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the examples of Scripture. We're reminded, Lord, that they hit close to home. We thank you for the example of Naomi, even the negative example that we see here. There's so much for us to learn from her. Oh, Lord, the perspective we have on this story, if we could just tell her right here in this moment, oh, just wait, just hang on, just trust, just believe, look at what he's going to do. We feel the perspective that that you have in some of these things because we can look back and we see how the story goes. And yet, Lord, in the moment, it's heavy and it's tough and it hurts. Help us to be like Joseph who forgave in a soft heart, in in a display of kindness, who laid down a hard heart of bitterness and embraced his brothers with tears. Help us to be like Job. What a man of faith 
who held to his integrity and kept a soft heart, waiting and trusting despite all around him falling apart. Lord, work now, we pray. Move in hearts. Bring freedom and life through the power of Jesus Christ, the one who paid the price for all my sin. He took it on himself. Every bitter thought, anger, every resentment, he buried it in the grave. And then he rose again that we might be free and forgiven. Lord, move now in power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.